Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 22nd chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, How is it then that David in the spirit calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. When you are working to get your driver's license, there are two important steps. The first step, of course, is to know the rules of the road. They hand you a manual and you're supposed to study it and pay attention to what the different lights mean and what the different signs indicate and the distance that you're supposed to follow various kinds of vehicles. It's good to know all of the rules and you spend some time studying them and they test you on that knowledge. You have to take a written test, check the boxes, make sure that you actually understand the rules of the road. But you know that that's not enough to become a driver, to get your driver's license. They also make you take a driving test. Why do they do that? Because the person who knows the rules of the road but does not follow them is no good. Somebody who knows the rules of the road but does not obey them is not a safe driver. Which would you rather have? A driver who knows all of the rules but never follows them, never stops at any stop sign, or a driver who doesn't know all the rules that well but at least knows that he should stop at a stop sign. Which would you rather have? The one who knows the rules or the one who follows them? Who would you rather have on the road? This is a helpful thing to observe because it's easy to think that uh, ignorance is often a problem for us, our main problem, not knowing things. In fact, this is kind of how our world works. Maybe you notice this in the way the world talks about stuff. If only we had better education, if only we knew more things, then everything would be better. If only everyone knew exactly how everything worked properly, everybody understood it, then we could all make the right choices and everything would work out well. We could solve all of our problems. We need better education. We need to give people more information. And with that information, we could solve all of our problems. That's not the way things work, however. We often know exactly what we should do. We know what is right and what is wrong. And the problem is not a lack of knowledge. It's that we just don't do it. The rules are good. Everyone knows that the rules are good. In fact, we live in a world that generally acknowledges what is good. Think about it. You don't know very many people, in fact, if you know any, who would say being a murderer is a good thing. You don't know any people who are glad to be known as a murderer or a liar or a cheat or a thief. Everybody knows that those things are good. They have the knowledge. And yet, although nobody wants to be known as those things, the world is full of liars and murders and cheats and thieves. Why is that? 
It's not for lack of information. It's not for lack of understanding, but it is because our wills are weak. We know what is good. We acknowledge what is good. We just don't do it. Now, you can see this when it comes to driving. Lots of drivers will follow the rules so long as somebody is looking. As long as that driving instructor's in the car with you, you're going to obey all the rules. But when nobody's around or it seems like you're not going to get caught, what do you do? Well, then the rules become pretty flexible. So you might say that you believe you should stop at every stop sign, but then when it's inconvenient or when you're in a hurry or when no one else is around, what do you do? Do you just roll through that stop sign? Or you say, yes, everyone should follow the speed limit. I can't stand it when people go flying past me 65 miles on a road, 65 miles an hour on a road that's 55. I can't stand it, but then what do you do? When there's no one else around and you're in a hurry, do you bend the rules? You see, we say that we love the rules, that we know what they are, we know what is good, the problem is not a lack of knowledge. The problem is that we don't do it. That's the situation the Pharisees were in in our gospel lesson. They know the rules. They came up to Jesus and asked him this question. Teacher, what is the great commandment? And you see from the outset that this is a setup. They sent one of their lawyers to Jesus to put him to the test. This guy knows all of the tiniest details of the law. He can tell you the section and paragraph and word of the law to get the right answer. He's studied it thoroughly. He knows it from beginning to end. If you want to know what's in God's law, this guy can tell you. They come to Jesus to put him to the test, thinking that Jesus is going to give the wrong answer. Teacher, what is the great commandment? Maybe he'll say something silly like, well, you should honor your father and mother. That's the great commandment. Or maybe he'll say something like, you should love the outsiders, the sojourners that we heard about in our Old Testament lesson. Maybe he'll pick one smaller, more insignificant law and he'll miss the big picture and then, then we've got him. This lawyer knew the law from beginning to end and he thought that Jesus did not. They were confounded, however, when Jesus recited the first and great commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. And there's a second that is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Everything, everything is summed up in those two commandments. You can think about the Ten Commandments as being summarized in those two commandments. The first three, you shall have no other gods, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, and remember the Sabbath day. That's how you love the Lord your God, with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And then begin to love your neighbor, honor your parents. Don't hurt your neighbor in his body. Be faithful to your spouse. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't desire things that don't belong to you. It all gets summed up in these two great commandments. And Jesus gives the answer. The Pharisees thought that because they had the right answers, they were the best ones. Because they had the right answers, they were the most faithful to God. In fact, they went a little bit above and beyond. They knew all of the rules and they added a few of their own just to make sure that everyone knew what was right. Jesus goes after the Pharisees, however, and he gets to the heart of the matter. Jesus shows them that knowing the law is not the same thing as doing the law. At another place in the gospel, Jesus says to the Pharisees, look, here's what you do. You heap up heavy burdens and you put them on other people. Burdens that are too heavy for those other people to bear and that you won't even raise your tiniest finger to carry. Your whitewashed tombs, that's what Jesus says. Like God says to his people in the Old Testament, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. You know all the right answers, but you never do it. 
Jesus at one point sounds exasperated when he says, why do you call me teacher? Why do you call me teacher when you will not do what I say? You see, the problem for the Pharisees was not that they didn't know the law, that they didn't know the rules. That's not our problem either. We know what is good. God has told us. And even if we didn't have the Bible, God has revealed through nature what is good. And yet, we don't do it. We don't follow God's law. Why is that? Why do we struggle with that so much? Where does that come from? Not only do we fail to do God's law, to follow his commands, but we we certainly do not delight in it the way we should. Listen to what David says in Psalm 1. This is the the first psalm in the book of Psalms, and it is one of the most brilliant. Listen to what he says. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So he's doing what he should do. He's staying away from wickedness and he is clinging to what is good. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that bears its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Blessed is that man who not only knows the law of God, but does it. Blessed is the man who not only does the law of God, but also delights in it. How far are we from that? When you hear the words of God's law, when you hear his commandments, when he says to you, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, when he says to you, love your neighbor as yourself, do you think, wonderful, that's the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. I can't wait to do it. Or do you begin to hedge and think, okay, I think I can do that some of the time, but not all of the time. That sounds a little bit burdensome. Often, I'm willing to love my neighbor so long as they love me in return. I'm willing to do what's good for my neighbor so, as it's all, so long as it's also good for me. Do you delight in God's law? How far are we from that? Why? Now, you could give the Sunday school answer to this question. You could simply say it's because of sin. You could say it's because sin has infected our hearts and that's the end of the story. We just can't do what's good. But that's not the whole story, or at least it's not the entire answer that we need. We should pay closer attention to the reasons why this happens. Why do we fail to do God's law? Think about it this way. What is it that makes beautiful things go ugly? What is it that makes beautiful things turn ugly? Now, if you consult the fairy tales... The fairy tales will tell you that it's usually a curse. So why did the prince turn into a frog? It's because the witch put a curse on the frog. Somebody put a spell on something good and turned a beautiful thing ugly. Is Is that what has happened with God's law? Has the devil come along and taken God's good commandments and turned them into something evil? Has sin come along and taken God's good, wonderful commandments and turned them into something bad? That's not the case. God's law has always been good always and eternally, it is the most beautiful thing there is. If you can wrap your heads around that, it's the most beautiful thing there is. We love natural beauty. We love all of the wonders of this world. We love beautiful things in our lives. But God's law is most beautiful. It's most beautiful because it is what we were designed to do, to love God and to love our neighbors. Sometimes you might think that beautiful things turn ugly when they grow old, when they get worn out. 
when they turn stale. And sometimes that's how people think about God's law. Look, it's just kind of old-fashioned, isn't it? For us to think about things in that way. For parents to teach their children the fear and admonition of the Lord. To, for parents, for children to obey their parents. For husbands and wives to love and honor each other the way that God says. Look, it's kind of old-fashioned. His rules are kind of ugly because they've just grown outdated. They're kind of worn out. We've got something better. Is that what has happened to God's law? Not in the least. Once again, God's law is always beautiful. It is always good. It is never old. It never fades away. It is never worthless, but it is always precious. So what has changed? What has gone wrong? The problem lies here in our hearts. The problem lies in our eyes and in our senses. The problem is that we have grown senseless to the goodness of God's law. Think about it this way. One of the symptoms of COVID-19 is losing your sense of taste and smell. And what does that do to food? Does it change the food? Does it make the food no good anymore? Does it make a wonderful meal useless to you any longer? Not in the least, but it makes it so that you can't appreciate it, so that you can't enjoy it, so that you think it's actually kind of detestable, so that you think it's kind of worthless. That's what a disease like that can do to you, getting rid of your sense of taste and smell. So it is with God's law. Because of sin, because of the corruption in our hearts, we no longer see what is good. We no longer see what is beautiful. We think about it in all of the wrong ways. We can't recognize what is lovely. And like an addict who just pursues cheaper and cheaper thrills, that's how we are by nature in this life. Not knowing what is good, or at least not being able to recognize it, not pursuing it, not loving it for what it's worth, not thinking that it as beautiful, we go after cheap things. Things that are not delightful, but are abominable. Things that lead us straight into hell. That's what has gone on with God's commandments. And you can recognize it. You can recognize it in your own hearts. So think about how this plays out in your lives. You know what is good. You know what is good, and yet you don't do it. Parents, are you impatient with your children ever? You know that patience is a wonderful thing. How glorious it is when others are patient with you. Are you impatient with your children? Parents, you know that teaching your children to fear the Lord is the most important task that you have. And yet, does everything else find its way in front of that task? Children, you know that obeying your parents is God's only command for you. Honor your father and mother. And yet, do you grudgingly obey? Do you roll your eyes? Husbands and wives, you know that love is patient and kind and good and it overlooks all kinds of faults and yet do you keep a record of wrongs against your spouse? Do you keep long lists of the things they have done to hurt you? Are you ready to pull those lists out at any time? Neighbors, do you bite your tongue when you should? Do you keep back gossip? Do you spread rumors or do you explain everything in the kindest way? Are you quick to excuse the faults of your neighbor? Do you love your neighbor the way you love yourself? That is, putting the best construction on everything. You know what is good. You know that gossip is from the devil. You know we should not bear false testimony. And yet, do you do it? Do you tell lies about your neighbor? Do you expand stories and fill them with all kinds of details that make the story better? Believers, children of God, do you know that God's word is your source of life, that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And yet, are you clamoring to fill every spare moment with God's word or with all kinds of other things, with TV and Facebook 
and recreation and entertainment and laziness? Why is it that we know what is good but cannot do it? It's because we have grown cold and senseless. Because we do not observe what is beautiful. Because we do not believe that it is beautiful. Oh, wretched man that I am. That's what Paul says when he confronts this problem. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who will save me from this body of sin? Who can save us from this problem? Of knowing what is good but not doing it. Of knowing that there are beautiful things that God has given to us but not being able to recognize them. Thanks be to God. Through Christ Jesus our Lord. This is exactly the reason why Jesus has come into the flesh to take up our sins. Because on our own, we will only fall deeper and deeper into this pit of lawlessness, of despising what is good and fleeing from what is beautiful. This is what Jesus has come to do, to take all of our sins into himself, to take all of our lawlessness into into himself, to bear it all to the cross, to carry it all, to be nailed to the cross, so that there, on the cross of Jesus, you can delight in God's law. Think about it this way. On the cross, Jesus perfectly loves his heavenly Father. He loves him with his whole heart, strength, and mind. He is perfectly obedient. He says to his Father, you have sent me for this reason, to love your children, and that is what I'm going to do. There on the cross, God's law is perfectly fulfilled. He loves the Lord with all his heart, soul, strength, and mind, and he loves you, his dear neighbors, his brothers and sisters. He loves you as he loves himself, in fact, better giving up his life for you. There on the cross, you can delight in God's law, not as something that is burdensome for you to fulfill, but you can delight in God's law as something fulfilled on your behalf. Think about how beautiful the cross is. You can recognize it because you know the gospel. You know the good news that Christ has died for your sins. The world looks at the cross of Jesus and all it sees is ugliness and despair. Put it out of our sight. That's what the world wants Don't let us look at that anymore. But you know that in the cross of Jesus, God's law has been kept. And it is beautiful. It's beautiful because without that, without the sacrifice of Jesus, without his blood poured out for you, you would be lost forever. You'd be like somebody who will never, ever be able to taste or smell again. You'd be like somebody who knows the rules but can never, ever actually keep them. Who has memorized the rule book but never gets to drive. Jesus has come. To set you free from all of that, he has fulfilled God's law for you. Pray that he would make you more like himself every day. That in the forgiveness of sins, in this new life that you have, in this freedom from sin and death and lawlessness, that you would begin now to live as he lived, to love as he loved. That your heart would once again be set on what is true and good and beautiful. That you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Now that you have seen how beautiful it is, pray that God would put such love in your hearts. Now that you have seen how wonderful it is to love your neighbor, even to the point of death, pray that God would put such love in your hearts. Let him teach you to love his commands, to delight in what is good, and rejoice in this. This is the promise for every Christian. Rejoice in this, that one day you will be made perfect. One day you will no longer chafe under the threats of God's law. One day, not only will you have the rule book memorized, but you will love doing it. You'll rejoice in what is finally true and good and beautiful. Rejoice that God is going to complete that good work that he has begun in you. To God alone be all glory now and forever. Amen.